Today's episode is brought to you by Cattle. Every product launch faces a chicken and egg problem. You need reviews to convert, but you need conversions to get reviews. Cattle can help. Cattle helps brands win share. They leverage their consumer panel for insights, collecting receipts, and driving product ratings and reviews. It is the largest daily active survey panel in Canada, with over 10,000 daily active users and over 100,000 monthly active users. Let cattle be your chicken and or your egg, depending on your perspective. Visit getcattle.com to learn more. Make sure that you have that good synergy between work-life balance and make sure that you're looking at you know, let us say the long game. And for many, the long game is only two years now. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If that's your long game, that's your long game. And sit down and start mapping it out. Welcome to Hearts and Carts, the CPG podcast, the podcast about the people behind the products that are winning hearts and filling carts. This cast is for anyone with an interest in the world of consumer products. We're your hosts, Justin Osborne and Alex Hill, and our mission is to bring you weekly content that helps you be a better and more informed CPG professional. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Hearts and Carts. It is your boy Alex, and I'm here with your ch- ch- other boy Justin, uh, your your two hosts, and uh, it's the smack dab in the middle of summer. So Justin, what's going on with you? Yeah, we are Alex and I are in the same province. I'm I'm in Ontario with you. Um, well, not with you. I actually haven't even seen you yet, but uh, I'm in the same He's province avoiding. as you and uh having a great time avoiding alex went to a jays game um shout out to my buddy brian stoddard for getting me getting me jays tickets that was amazing (laughs) dude the stadium renovations they've done are incredible i know that you you do some partnership work with them but um something that i massively miss being out on the west coast is the ability to go to jays games so a lot of fun i gotta say i think they've hit it out of the park on that oh, renovation God. <laughs> um it's uh it's it's awesome like i i really think that they've um added so much experientially to the stadium and to yeah. like families who want to take kids and just like really like you know making it more of a, a social uh, and inviting atmosphere with like a lot of different ways to enjoy the game and um i actually went earlier in the in the season and i sat next to the jays bullpen and i uh so cool yeah, I, I got to give Swanson a, a, a fist bump, which uh, actually I gave a bunch of them a fist bump, but Swanson like waited me out to like fist bump me, which uh, blew my mind. So uh, it is uh, it is definitely a totally cool, different and unique experience at that stadium. Now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely incredible. Even just the I was close to the Rays bullpens as well. And even just the sound the ball makes when it's hitting the catcher's glove was like, uh, like, wow, that is a lot faster. <laughs> it, it's, that, it's scary. That close. Scary it is fast. it is a little bit scary fast but uh anyways what it's really nice to be back in ontario uh really nice to see some of the people i haven't seen in a little while and uh go to a minus, Jays minus one out. minus one person um yeah yeah exactly so uh, so today alex we've got uh, a pretty special guest here uh, another uh catalano forward favorite here that we're really excited about and it's uh, Ron Lemary, the president of the Canadian Produce Marketing Association, so the CPMA. He's here to talk about everything produce, uh, talk about sustainability, talk about some of the challenges that we're seeing, um, and, and really about his career journey. So super stoked to hear from him. 
Awesome. Well, really excited to get into this conversation. For those of you who are uh, who are not already following us on social media, definitely give us a, a follow on either LinkedIn or Instagram. And uh, let's jump into the conversation with Ron. Hey guys, how are you? Hey Ron, good. How you doing? I'm doing great. Great to meet you. Thanks for joining us. No worries. Let me make sure I have the right camera going here. There we go. One there. There we go. There he is. Perfect. Perfect. Everything's good. Everything's good. Sunny outside. Spring is in the air. For Where you guys, you? I think that means busy, busy times. Nice, nice. Where are you guys located? I'm just in Dundas, just outside of Hamilton. Yeah. And then I'm on the West Coast. I'm on Vancouver Island. So we're going through a, a heat wave right now. It's been like 30 the past week, every single day. It's a little bit wild. And actually now we're starting to get some of the smoke from, from Alberta, if you can believe it. Mm-hmm. So, which, which is unfortunate, but it's living out here. You sort of get used to the wildfires hitting kind of every summer, but this is pretty early. Usually that's, you know, the end of July, August. This, this is pretty early. So it's, um, you know, all, all winter we complain about the rain here. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then it gets hot and then. We complain about that. So I feel like that's part of being Canadian. You just complain about the weather, right? Oh, exactly. And listen, <laughs> funny that are you, you're cold right now, yeah, Alex. The weather, like it was five degrees today in Ottawa. It's cool. It's it was that low this morning. Right now it's probably closer to fifteen. Yeah. But yeah, it started out cold. Yesterday it was like twenty-five. It's kind of been all over the map. You know what? It's I was in Spain last two weeks and uh Wow. Southern Spain. We were there dealing with some citrus programs, just trying to citrus and getting the cherry market open up there are some buyers wow. looking at importing cherries and they're not allowed right now from spain so mm. our organization actually if someone wants to export to canada and they're not required they go through us and the buyers we put a list together we provide that to the government they shortlist that and uh, we we do a top three every year that we uh, move through the system with cfia so we actually just got raspberries and blueberries from spain in the mix and wow. uh, very indian, cool indian baby corn you know, the, lo- the other governments lobby too. Every once in a while, there's one in there. We go, what the hell? Like, who, who wants Indian baby corn? Anyways, nobody, <laughs> nobody does. But uh, the Fed, somebody in the federal government is doing, having a side deal with the Indian government to probably, uh, I don't know, figure something out they need done. Yeah. yeah. Raspberries are, are my son's favorite fruit. It's like the go-to, like he will eat it every single meal. Yeah. And they have shot up in price astronomically. So if you can help me out it's... there, that would, that'd be great. <laughs> Hey, listen, two more years to go. We just, so I chair a global coalition on, uh, for fruit and veg. So it's 11 different international organizations and fruit and veg from New Zealand, Australia, South America, Africa, EU, China. And we just have a survey back asking the impact on supply chains. No change until 2020, you know, wow. food inflation, we're, we're around, we're four, just over 4% on inflation, but food inflation and especially fruit and veg is still riding high. And there's just so many levers that you know on cost centers that influence the whole system. Yeah. It's gonna take it's gonna take more time than others that can react differently and quickly. Yeah. Uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, makes sense. That's a very nice way of saying sorry. I like it. Yeah. It's it's a funny thing, Justin. We've never talked about that, but I've thought about this a lot. When you're having a child, everyone tells you you're gonna pay for all these different things, but no one tells you that berries is such a major cost center as a parent, but it's, it's huge. 
it's bizarre how much he raspberries are pretty tart so i wouldn't have expected that to be one of his favorite foods from such a young age but yeah like he'll sit there and he'll just eat an entire quart of them and i'm like dude keep that was going. 10 bucks <laughs> like, keep them going i got a kid in university still just keep that baby eating more raspberries <laughs> yeah yeah no yeah well i know i know how much i eat and how much i ate during my teenage years so it scares me to think about what this how much food this kid's going to be eating the amount i'm going to spend on chicken and beef and meat and like yeah it'll be wild hopefully he can control his appetite better than i can who knows <laughs> you know it's uh it's funny because i have three kids that they're all over 20 now right and last he played junior hockey so he's in university now wrapping up a university a little later than others but uh it once you get them off the payroll you realize how much extra money <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh, it's really it's really quite something when when actually all of a sudden you can have really nice vacation. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Dif dif I just got back from Disney. So very different vacations, I guess, once you once they're out of the house. My dad always used to say, if he didn't have kids, he'd probably be driving a Ferrari and he really wanted a Ferrari. That's what he used to tell me. So <laughs> he said, say it just like that and rub it in a little bit. It's, you know what? All they, there's a whole bunch of different things they always say, right? If, uh, in produce, if you want to be a millionaire, start with two million. Uh, you know, it's the same <laughs> like kids, right? Yeah, it's the same with kids. Yeah, exactly. Well, Ron, you know, thanks for thanks for joining us here. Really excited to chat with you, learn about your career, and and already learning some things about no change in supply chain until twenty twenty four. So already picked up some facts here. But for everybody listening, we have Ron Lemaire, the president of the Canadian Produce Marketing Association, with us. We were introduced to him from Mike Catalano, who's a friend of Alex and I's from the S.E. Johnson days. Amazing guy. Can't say enough great things about him. And, and he's been on the podcast and super supportive and introduced us to a, a few people. So shout out to you, Mike, and thank you. Mike's and he, he really he really is. And, you know, normally we would razz him, but I'm just feeling thankful. So I'll just be nice this, this time. No, no, we can razz Mike. We can <laughs> just, we always get a couple extra packs of his wonderful pistachios uh, after yeah. our convention. So thanks to Mike call out to wonderful brands for uh, some amazing products. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. I, I could eat talking again about my appetite. This seems to be a theme here, but I could eat a lot of those pistachios. Yeah. I've eaten more than I'd like to admit, I think, but yeah. So thank you to him for the introduction and, and Ron, really excited to hear about your career path and, and what you've accomplished. You know, we have on our show usually entrepreneurs in, in the CPG space or people that have you know made a career in, in large CPG. We've had some retailers on, some some friends of yours, I believe, like Zach Jones and Mimo. And really excited to hear about your your career journey and, and what you've done and because it's different than I think a lot of our guests. And it's a whole other vein of sort of food and consumer packaged goods and, and so excited to learn from you. And what we usually like to do is is sort of go back in time to, you know, young Ron, you're getting out of school, you're graduating from Carleton. Like, what did you want to do? What was your first step? You know, how did you sort of get to where you are now? And then sort of go from from back then to, to now and, and hopefully learn some stuff along the way. You know, it's funny if you, you sit back, and you think where I wanted to go and where you end up. <laughs> if it gets close to what your dreams were. I think that's great. And I, I like to think I'm close to my dreams. But you know, I go back. I was I love politics way back in high school and in university. And uh, I actually went to Carleton. I had two majors. I had a law major and a sociology major that I graduated with. Thought I wanted to be a lawyer, right? My undergrad in law. And uh, I did minor in classical history with Greek. Mm. So 
what I found though was really funny. I love law, I love politics, but the human condition is something that really caught my attention and the sociology mm. side, how society works, how people behave. And it drew me into the marketing end of uh, you know where I thought I wanted to go, which was different. And at that point, I had family in horticulture and in farming, and I never thought I'd get into the uh, food space. I always thought politics, you know, looking at marketing, and I was very active in sports. I played at the beginning of my university career, varsity water polo for Carleton, and, you know, played a wide range of sports. I thought, geez, I'd love to get into sports marketing at some point down the road. So, you know, I graduated and uh, with a law degree and some experience through university teaching, I ended up uh, working for the Council for Canadian Unity, which was a program, they ran a program called Encounters with Canada that brought about 3,500 students from around Canada, high school students, to learn about the country. And at that point, we had a strong separatist movement, and there was, the government was looking at, Quebec government looking at separating from Canada. So it was a fairly important program. We used to bring kids to Parliament Hill. I was active in working with both the Senate and the House of Commons on uh, trying to drive, you know, the unity discussion and educate kids on what the country was, what the country wasn't. So it was a really interesting time. And my law background slash education background built on that. But running the program side, I ended up having an opportunity to be a provincial coordinator for them, which started me down the marketing path, still having a hand into the political side as well. So kind of a different path, you know, at the front end, but really interesting to have that link into into Mm -hmm. uh, and and bridging from university. Very cool. Yeah, but... You know, from there, you know, young guy wanting to understand where he can go. I ended up actually being approached to run for, uh, back then it was city councillor. And again, the politics, mm. right? You know what? I had an interest in it. I thought I'll put my hat, my, my, my hat in the ring. So I put my hat in. I had a campaign headquarters and I was young at that point, early 20s. Didn't really know what I was doing. Didn't know what I was getting myself into. And uh, I actually got my registration in. I was, had my signs up starting to do media interviews, had a campaign team. And through the process, I uh, was approached by the Heart and Stroke Foundation of Ottawa to help run uh, the Ottawa office, be their area manager. And it was one of those discussions at that point in time of, you know what, do I have a chance to win and be city councillor in the the riding I was running in? Or do I want to go down a path that sounded really interesting of health, health promotion, blend of the marketing, social values, and driving change in the health community? And so I stepped out. I put my support behind another candidate, Stefan Amard Chabot, who ended up winning, which is great news for him, and uh, went down the path of heart and stroke. And from there, why talk? And this is kind of funny. Here I am, a produce guy, right? <laughs> and I had nothing to do at the front end in produce. So yeah, you know, the Heart and Stroke Foundation ran that for a few years and uh, did a lot of community work and linked closely with provincial government, again, linking into and federal government on health because of the unique aspect of where we were in Ottawa. Uh, but from there, worked a lot with the Ottawa Lynx, which was a AAA team for the Montreal Expo. And great experience. We ran a few events with them and through the experience there. And I actually had on my board at the Heart and Stroke, some people that were linked into the, this, the baseball team. And when their uh, marketing manager left, I had the opportunity to move over from Heart and Stroke to be marketing manager for the Montreal Expo's AAA affiliate, wow. which was a dream come Very true cool. in sports. Yeah. You know what, yeah. guys? Sports marketing, there's nothing better, but you can't have a family. Yeah. <laughs> it's like all the you time. Know, you're committed, right? You're committed. Yeah. You're, the bulk, the team is in town. It's you know, 12-day homestand. You're there seven in the morning to 10 at night, and the next day, same thing. 
and then your homestand ends, they go on the road and you're prepping for when they come back. So fabulous. And you, and you work those off hours too. Yeah. That's the, it's like, you gotta be there for games. It's almost like working in a restaurant or something yeah. like that. It's like everyone else is getting off work and you're like, well, games at seven. So I gotta, I gotta go with, you know, this partner or whatever tonight and yeah. well, not, it's not the worst place to be, but every night might be hard with a young fam. It's, you know, what's really fun though in sports marketing is, you know, and especially in the minor leagues where you don't have a lot of money to play with, that's where you start developing yeah. the partnership development, the sports marketing strategies on how you leverage your advertising, your real estate within the stadium to drive yeah. business and, and bring people together. And, and uh, what's really cool around that is when you start looking at really driving a business and how do you bring together strategy that can market and promote a product sports marketing is where you can really get your teeth into something and, and drive yeah. in success it's it's an amazing business to work in amazing completely agree i feel like even more than ever too right like now that we have streaming and everyone's you know moving a little bit away from cable and it's like being able to be in that moment in those environments where people are live you know you have all the fans on site but also like broadcasts all that kind of it's it's unique so we ran a tv local tv broadcast we did uh, in, sta in in stadium promotions and activities just like the majors and i'll tell you mm -hmm. at that time no one was doing in stand promotions with a mic mm -hmm. not that i'm saying i started the trend <laughs> <laughs> I brought to the owner the concept of doing some in-stand work, and he said, great idea, Ron. Let's go for it. We'll get the equipment. He said, perfect. I'll start interviewing for an MC. And he goes, whoa, whoa, it's minor league baseball. You can do it. So actually, <laughs> that was part of the fun. I ended up, they gave me a nickname. It's cool. We don't want the world calling me Rocket Ron. But it was, it, I was in the stands giving away, you know, prizes and talking with the fans. And that's where you really see the connection between the TV broadcast, the game, the timing and delivery, and how everything has to work in cut and how it has to connect. And th that experience, you know what, learning that and how it all comes together and driving that through all the other aspects of your uh, career and your business really drives and you understand how a team functions and how without it, you can't do one thing, let alone many things in your, uh, in your job. So funny enough, I lived in Ottawa until I was 10. So I left in 95 and I have been to a Lynx game and I'm <laughs> going to have to ask my parents if they remember rocking Ron. I don't because I was pretty young, but I'm going to have to see if they remember you. So Let's... it would have been, it would have been the uh, 90 seasons, 96 to 98 because I started. Bang on. Yeah. Started at 90, started at CPMA. They, and this is how I ended up in produce. So I get a call from a headhunter saying, hey, we're looking for someone with a government relations background, sports marketing background, and health not-for-profit. <laughs> Who else has that? Yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's like you're, you're made for the role, basically. Yeah. It's silly. Yeah. And what I didn't realize is those are all the pieces that were coming together. You talk about fruit and veg, yeah. you talk about what we do. We're a lobby organization at CPMA. We help drive and increase consumption. We work closely with the health community. All those pieces connect. And so uh, I thought, well, what the heck? I'll uh, I'll sit down with these guys. And next thing you know, I was accept accepting a position of uh, director of marketing. And that's where the story starts in produce and driving uh, sales of fruit and vegetables across Canada and, and actually looking at a global level how the entire industry works. Very cool. Very cool. I think, I think one place I'd want to go for the conversation, because I think a lot of people don't know what associations do. My dad also, he worked for the Canadian Marketing Association, so I'm kind of familiar, but I was hoping maybe you could overview some of the, because because it's cool stuff. You're out there and you're making 
macro impacts in big ways working with both our government and others but maybe overview like what's involved in the role and 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 of the organization for its role in the market so we're a service provider at the end of the day and we're there to help the core industry or in our case our membership base which is about 850 different companies across the supply chain from grower packer shippers to major retailers independents food service operators and everyone in between so a very diversified group. So how do you service them? Well, a big part of that is doing what we need to do, but in many cases, people don't even know that we've done something. So yeah. especially on a lobby, nobody wants to do government relations, but we're regularly working with the border. We're working with the Canadian Food Inspection Agency, Health Canada, Industry Canada, now I said, as well as finance, behind the scenes, making sure that there are no barriers to business, barriers to trade, and my perfect scenario is when no one knows there's a, there's something going mm-hmm. on, right? That's when we know everything is seamless. It's when we have issues and it's in the media and then we have to react. You know what? We're public, but overall, mm-hmm. there's a lot of behind the scenes work that people don't even know we're doing. And to our detriment, we don't broadcast it. Maybe we should more. Yeah. And that's where the strength is though, right? Yeah, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. So we do government relations. We support food safety, technology, sustainability, we do consumer marketing. We run data and support the data in the market. So we are really data poor in produce. We actually have a retail merchandising working group. We have an industry data pool that can provide market data for the industry to understand trends and knowledge of what, hap- what happens in the market and where they need to focus their business. We do a lot of work with dietitians, with the health community. And, uh, you know, all these things connect. There's no one singular approach. You know, as soon as you start focusing on plastics, which is a big file we work on in packaging right now, you begin straddling a wide range of other files. We're working on bankruptcy. You know, there's a, mm-hmm. a vote today in, in the House of Commons on Bill C-280, which is bankruptcy protection for fruit and vegetable sellers in the supply chain. Huge initiative that can change the market for uh, and protect companies selling in the event of a bankruptcy. So all of these things are fundamental to business moving forward. Technical. So how does that work? So if one of their suppliers goes bankrupt, they're protected. Is that kind of the... Well, if I sell to a company, I I have raspberries. Yep. You know, Justin's kid loves raspberries. (laughs) I want to make sure they can keep getting raspberries. So we that raspberry producer sells into a company, that company goes bankrupt. You can't go in. It's not like a dishwasher. You can't go in and grab your dishwasher and inventory and resell. It's gone. It's a virtual inventory that in the event of a bankruptcy, you can actually be a secured creditor. And if there's some money available, you can access whether it's 10 cents or 100% of the dollar, you're getting something. And it's that stabilization model that's there that can help the industry move forward. They have it in the US. So we're basically creating a similar model to what the U.S. has, and that actually will help us have access to a reciprocal program we're doing with the U.S. under what they call their Perishable Agricultural Commodity. Very cool. Very smart. Yeah, Justin and I, when we were talking to Mike, kind of, we both have worked in, in longer shelf life products for the most part of our careers, and the mechanisms like you're describing make so much sense you have to have them because it's it's a different ball game when thing you know i think mike was saying certain certain things it's you know 13 14 days from farm to the end of life so you know what you you pull product out of california it gets on a truck it's in the store in five to six days and you have another 10 days you know before the consumer has to eat. it's it's quick and you know in produce it's sell it or smell it right 
Yeah. And like that it. strategy is fundamental in making sure you have the right product at the right time at the right price. And the way the market is now with impacts inflation and food inflation still being high, the key we have to do is focus on how do you get the product from point A to point B in the most efficient way. Because the consumer is still expecting the best quality product mm -hmm. at the best price. We've spoiled Canadians. We really have. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's interesting. I, to Alex's point, I've worked on the closest, I think, was dairy, which was still 60 days. And that was a logistical nightmare. So I can't even imagine 15 days or two weeks and everything that, that goes in behind that. You touched quickly on plastic. And I, and I was reading up a little bit about the Canada Plastic Pact and some of your work there. Maybe you could... You could kind of dive into that a little bit for us. Yeah. So back in 2019, CPMA, we took a very aggressive approach on looking at plastic packaging, formed a working group and began our journey around how do we support the industry on sustainable packaging. And I had the opportunity to be a founding board member of the CPP, the Canada Plastic Pack, and continue in that role today. And you know what? It's a great organization, not only bringing together the food industry, but bringing together a wide group of industry and NGOs and other groups that focus on how to find solutions around sustainable packaging. And it really is fundamental as a community. And this is something I talked about my career and working through different, very different sectors. The commonality in everything from the Council for Canadian Unity to Heart and Stroke to Baseball to CPMA, it is the connectivity and the community that we work within. Without providing that integrated framework that brings partners together and stakeholders together and competitors together, you don't succeed. And a non-competitive environment around the plastic discussion, how do you move mm -hmm. forward? Looking at unnecessary problematic plastics, they're, they're out there. You know what? For fresh fruit and veg and food, we need plastic. So we have to figure out a way how we dispose of them, how we mm -hmm. look at a use model, how we look at a circularity framework that can enable the product that has to be fresh, right? So plastics changed the produce industry. You guys aren't old enough, but I remember as a kid, you'd go buy strawberries in season only, and there'd be a like a big mound of them in the produce store. The bottom would all be jelly because it was too warm. And you yeah. put them in a bag, go to the, weigh them, check out. Now you're getting strawberries all year round. Quality yeah. is great, right? You're, you're getting a price point rate. And a big part of that comes down to the type of strawberry and the production, the methodology going into production, but also the material and the packaging that it comes so that it can make the journey it makes, get to the consumer, hold the shelf life, and plastic packaging enables that. So making sure it's recyclable, making sure that it has a circular model that, in other words, the collection and the recycling systems can handle it. And that's part of our challenge, the fragmentation diversity of the recycling system and globally. And then how do you move into, you know, other areas such as compostability and other pieces of, uh, of the packaging strategy that looks at alternatives. So whether it's a fiber package or a plant, yeah. you know, there's place and means for all those substrates or materials in the system. We just have to find the right one for the right. Totally. It makes, it makes perfect sense. So I guess you guys also kind of tie into food waste to some degree in a big way, packaging, right? Like, you have like, yeah. And we have studies that show berries as we keep talking about berries. The significant loss of berries without the packaging is astronomical. And, you know, when you look at everything from your leafy greens and even going further, looking at the value added product, packaging has enabled creating controlled atmospheres within the packaging, controlled atmospheric environments for this product to extend shelf life so that people can enjoy products year round and also 
get more out of the product when they bring it home. That's huge. I mean, managing a fridge is, is tricky and we don't have a problem with berries in our household as we've already covered, but I know, I know for, for sure that there's certain things where it's like you're rushing to get through them and yeah. And then you talked about compost compostable, which we, we, uh, we've had a guest on who, who humble potato chips, Alicia Leahy, they, they do 100% compostable bags. I don't know if you're familiar with their products, but you're right. Like that's another whole, you know, that's a whole, I guess, rabbit hole we could go down, but it's another whole place where people are trying to solve some of these same same so issues. Here's the challenge right now, right? We we can look at a, a plastic and we can understand what the stream for that material is. Mm -hmm. The consumer doesn't know if you have a material that is deemed biodegradable, right? Yeah. Or compostable. If it's a plastic that's coming in, they're saying it's biodegradable, it's still going into a recycling stream and potentially contaminating that recycling stream. So you're not being able to create a another stream for that material. And this is part of the challenge we're dealing with on the collection mechanism and the consumer awareness. So there's a mm -hmm. whole bunch of pieces of the puzzle that we have to begin pulling apart and yeah. connecting. And when you start looking at compostability, it's also then understanding if you have a compostable product, where does it go in the household? You know, I've used it. Do I put it in my green bin? Do I put it in my blue bin? Do I put it in my black bin? And this or backyard is, even or backyard. Well, that's, you know, I hate to say it guys, you know, in the middle of winter, nothing's breaking there. down. Yeah. Industrial composting is the core strategy in Canada. We have very little home composting, not that we can't improve on that, but the biggest push is to drive and build our industrial composting strategy. And then on top of that, begin educating the consumer as to what streams their products go into so that the innovation around the material type can build and the packaging can build. So if you have a plastic that is compostable or biodegradable, then the consumer recognizes it, it can go into the right stream because right now, mm. and that's why people are moving away and, and even governments are moving away from saying, okay, using the term biodegradable and using other yeah. strategies. So it's basically saying, let's get the plastic strategy right. For Makes sense. Do you think we'll move away from single stream recycling at some point? Like, is that, is that a likely, or do you think, because I know like when we moved to it, adoption went up, but diversion also went up. So it's like, it seems like it's almost too easy. You know what? I think time will tell. I think you have to look at the BC market and the, uh, their best in class at this point. Yeah. And let's pay, Hey, I know Justin. You know what? Everything changes when you go over the Rockies, right? Um, <laughs> But seriously, when we when we start looking, take all of these pieces and start looking at them, not in silos and start saying, okay, how do you have to deal with materials? And you start looking yeah. at an example, flexible, you know, rigid PET and, you know, looking at the uh, driving more recycled content in, in a rigid form, doable in many cases. It's the flexibles and the multi-materials that is a real challenge for everyone. And that's salad bags as an example. But it is the approach we need to solve because in the end, those are going straight into waste. Yeah. And people throw them into recycling streams thinking that they can recycle, but they can't. And even when you look at top seal and the and the film on a top seal, you know, that film should be taken off and put it in the garbage. It shouldn't go into recycling stream. Or in BC, you can bring it, you can bring it in, right? You can bring your mm -hmm. flex in, but you have to make the effort to actually bring them to and drop them off. These are the things we have to deal with. So it's a it's an extremely complex issue. I know many try to simplify it, and that's not a bad thing. But at the end of the day, we have to look at a national effort that aligns yeah. provincial strategies. And from there, you know, when we start looking at all of the uh, 
all of the provincial models and the costing into it and how businesses operate across multiple provinces because very few operate singularly in one anymore how do we how do we harmonize it because at the end it also drives costs right mm -hmm. and again back into a you know, time of high food inflation we got to find ways to reduce overall impact on not only the environment but the cost of food or else we're gonna have a bigger issue so interesting so it is very complicated and when you think about you're right it's like the stakeholders part of you know it's easy to just think like you need people to do this like consumers but then you have municipalities provinces infrastructure business processes and everything else that goes into it and you make the wrong policy and your thing about not being noticed goes away pretty fast <laughs> yeah. um, because you know I'll, it's I'll tell the listeners this if your company is not a member of the Canada Plastic Pack, because the voice is key and access to the knowledge is, and knowledge is power. It's the same old thing. You need to generate that knowledge. And so we're launching at CPMA online tool comes out at the end of May, and it'll give direction on how to create a sustainable pack. It helps with some heat mapping, case studies. And we've done this not only for fresh produce, but it is for all foods. We're working with Food and Beverage Canada, PAC Global, supported by Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. And the online tool, it's going to be fundamental for those companies that are just getting into the sustainability game and just trying to figure out, okay, what questions do I need to ask to look yeah. at? So go to the website, go to the CPMA website, cpma.ca. You can get a link there to go to the sustainability a site to uh, look at sustainablepackaging.ca and try and uh, navigate a complex world sustainable. I love that. I think that's a fantastic resource because I think a lot of it, you know, people have the right intentions. It's confusion, right? It's like they don't know what to do, honestly, right? Like, and, and people, you know, and this is also on the regulatory side, right? When plastic, there, there's, there are unnecessary plastics, but it's being vilified. And we just have to make sure we make the right decisions to to Alex, to your point, we don't want to increase food waste. We don't want to, you know, reduce quality. We don't want to reduce availability of different products. So I'll give you yeah. an example. You know, there's a push to a compostable PLU sticker, and it's the holy grail for PLU stickers because, amazingly enough, it does disrupt the comp composting stream for industrial compost. You peel your banana, you peel your orange, you throw it into your compost bin with your PLU. You do that for a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand people. That sticker goes into the system and does impact. So we have a guidance document for industry to move towards compostability standards in Canada for the PLU sticker. We're working globally on this as well. The challenge is getting there and the cost center to get there because we're a small market. And if you're a buyer in Canada, right, a retailer or a wholesaler or an importer, and you're bringing product in from Costa Rica, Australia, South mm. Africa, you know, Spain, Morocco, they're looking at Canada in a market. Are they going to shift the, their PLU run to a compostable sticker for a small market like us? So making a decision to mandate only PLU, compostable PLU stickers at this point may actually take us out of the market and push product into packaging. These are the wow. unintended consequences we have to think about when regulating and framing, but we need to get there as an industry, right? It's something that we know you know, there's a light in the tunnel and it is that train. So we have to do the right thing. We just have to figure out the time and the path and the cost to get there because the consumer is not willing to pay more. Right? Yeah. We know that. Like right now, all of our data, when the consumer goes into a retail store, they're looking at quality, freshness, price. Price is now number one. Yeah. We've seen the trend of purchasing shift more to the discount banners, club stores, you know, 
they're making decisions, right? They're using their they're using digital flyers more, home flyers more to create shopping lists, to map out their purchases for fresh produce. And we're seeing a decline in uh, in sales you know, the month of, month of March, which is a concern. So how do we react to that, right? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I, I I mean, on your point, I, I just came from the uh, the FHCP Marketing and Sales Symposium and they had uh, Carmen Allison from Nielsen speaking there and he was talking about exactly what you just said, total equivalized volume down for the first time in, in recent years. So people are definitely making those choices and last thing we need is to make anything more expensive. More expensive or substitution is okay but i'm going to be selfish i want them substituting in the produce yeah (laughs) yeah yeah and that's the challenge right now and there is that happening that there are there there's some substitution they are moving to frozen and some other things Mm -hmm. but uh, the bigger issue is they're just shrinking their basket yeah and and that's something we need to we need to be aware of and you know i mentioned earlier i'm i chair a global global coalition of uh, 11 different organizations and we're seeing this globally and we're seeing the, the producer to the wholesaler impacted by the cost of this within the supply chain, whether it's fertilizer inputs, whether it's seed, you know, whether it's logistics, transportation, labor, all these things mixing them together. They are seeing massive shifts. They're not seeing, while they're seeing increased sales, they're not seeing the sales pace the cost of production. And we know that push through can't happen to the pace that we want it to. Because the consumer is already pushing back based on how they're mm. behaving. So what do we do, right? This is yeah. a pivotal point in food relative to getting people moving forward. And uh, I we ran our conference a few weeks ago. And, you know, in my presentation to the industry, I talked a little bit about split brain re- revenge spending. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that. No. no. So in any crisis coming out of a crisis, the consumer comes out with a revenge spend, right? They've mm-hmm. been pent up. They haven't been able to do anything, whatever the case, and boom, they're going out and spending. They're going to hit the ground hard and they want to spend on something. Well, we saw the revenge spend start to happen, but the split brain component is very odd relative to, you know, they're spending it on real high luxury items, sports cars, big trips, but the food side has appeared. You know, they're not, it's not where it could have been, hey, I'm going to spend it on, you know, some real great, you know, cherries, or I'm going to spend it on some outstanding berries, whatever the case may be. So that split brain has really shifted. And we're on the short end right now as a produce industry and food industry on how the spending is happening. So what do we do, right? Yeah. How do we shift that behavior back. And this is where I always laugh, go back to my sociology, you know, degree. This is the stuff I love because this is where from the marketing side, from the merchandising side, from shifting behavior of the consumer, you can get there, but you can't get there by themselves, right? So a retailer, an importer, a grower, it's a full community that has to come together to figure out how do we figure out the right price so companies survive? How do we figure out the right quality and right spec fitting into the right channel, meeting the right consumer? Because again, sell it or smell it. I'm bringing product in. I got to make sure that consumer pick it up and run with it. And then on the merchandising side, making sure they're talking to procurement and working together so they're not just clicking a button saying, we ordered this many strawberries the last this time last year, ordered yeah. it, the market shifted, right? Heat, heat in Morocco, heat in Spain, floods in California, like the world's shifting. How do you navigate all these changes? And to be honest, that's what the association, does. we're here to help educate and frame and model some of this and, and lead the path. For- it's interesting. 
you know, it's something you kind of touched on this, this global aspect of produce. And to me, that I think is something that's different than a lot of, you know, if you might work for a multinational in consumer products, you know, if you're center store, but you're not so worried about what's going on in the rest of the world. Whereas in produce, like the whole map matters a lot more and, and what's happening, you know, with, you know, whether it's, you know, fires or draw droughts or, or whatever, it's, it's all a factor. And, it's something, and I don't have the answer to this, but you know, when we talk about inflation, I often wonder, like, you know, we raise our benchmark rate, sure, and I understand that, you know, we're trying to cool demand and 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 reduce reduce inflation through cooling demand. But what can you do if, like, the input costs are coming from a different market that didn't raise their benchmark or has other problems that are causing costs to increase? And I think it's it's so complicated, just like the plastic thing, but in a different way uh, to navigate. Yeah. But. Totally agree. What happens when you have uh, geopolitical issues happening in the world and market shifts and product moving from one, not moving and or then flooding new markets because yeah. the market access were closing, which we've been dealing with, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. this goes back into now the cost of fuel. And we see the Dutch greenhouses last year not producing because fuel costs were too high. And next thing you know, Spanish greenhouse and Spanish field crops were flooding into Europe. And you know, not that we had a massive shift in the Canada with those products, but it changes the dynamic of our export strategies, our import strategies. You know, when you look at fresh fruit and vegetables in Canada, about four out of five dollars spent at retail is spent on an imported product. It's not to say we don't have a dynamic domestic industry like we do, but seasonal. Right. And, you know, we have a very strong cultural mosaic in Canada that demand dragon fruit, you know and a range of other exotics and also the Canadian consumer wanting that product all year round. So strawberries mm -hmm. in September, right? And uh, so on. So the global market and, and the global trade winds are important. And when you start looking at trade strategies like French shoring and reshoring, right? Like doing French shoring, doing business with countries that have like minds. And so ensuring your flow happen, you won't have any trade barriers. But then a big piece that we're starting, I know in the manufacturing industry is happening and we're seeing it with uh, electric uh, vehicles and uh, batteries, right? With the uh, VW plant being driven into, into Ontario. That's a US strategy, right? Bringing in production into a North American market. Likewise for produce, there's a lot of discussion now around packaging, all of the input need, needs. How do you actually bring some of those back home so that in a North American context, they're more accessible in the event of a global challenge? So these are all not short-term solutions because it takes time to readjust and to shift the business, but uh, globally you start thinking about that now relative to what we've been through yeah and it's a supply chain resiliency right like it, you need to have sure. it and we see how how volatile how volatile things can get and yeah it makes perfect sense shortening the supply chain can mean a whole bunch of different things, right yeah it can mean just cutting one part of the transportation leg out to producing at home to you know there's a range of different ways around but it we're in interesting times to say the least you know what it's exciting and listen this is why i love produce right you wake up in the morning and there's hate to say it, a mother nature has hit an area of the world or domestically, and now you have to adjust. And I tell you, when the atmospheric rivers hit BC, CPMA was active on the BC emergency plans, working with the government and border, trying to open up because you needed certain requirements to move products from Canada into the border of the US. Yes. All sorts of political adjustments that had to happen, but industry adjustments to uh, get product that's perishable moving. You know what? We've been through it. We've learned a lot. I think there's a lot we can take from what we drew out of the pandemic 
and push it forward. And that also goes into some of our social programs. You know, you guys may not know this, but CPMA was one of the recipients, the only trade association that was part of this with the uh, food rescue program at the beginning mm-hmm. of the pandemic, where the government allocated, in our case, $11 million that we used to purchase food from companies that were in many cases running it in the food service. We took that, worked with Second Harvest and moved all that product across Canada into Northern Canada to at-risk Canadians. And awesome. Canadians, wow. Right. A huge program. And we learned in our social strategies on, you know, if we do have excess food, what do we do with it? How do we repurpose it? How do we move it? And that also drove a lot of new business on looking at some of the waste we have. And you look at companies like Loop Mission, right? Who's taking, you know, almost due produce and making fabulous fresh juices with them. And and they are fantastic. I love that brand. And and a pretty good vodka and gin now too. (laughs) Okay. Have their soap in my shower right now as well. Okay, good. So, yeah, good. Yeah. Well, very cool. Yeah, you you've picked a hell of a career for yourself. It sounds a lot more complex than than what I do, that's for sure. But it must keep it interesting. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. You know what? The the best part of it is the people. I have a chance. I say I was in Morocco two weeks ago talking with and helping citrus the citrus groups understand how to ship to the Canadian market. I was in Spain talking to citrus and uh, cherries. I'll be in Australia in, in August talking to their market about global challenges. And again, how do they build the Canadian market? And a lot of this work is about building Canada and giving access mm-hmm. Canadians, but also to the Canadian buying community about you know new product lines, new, new channels they can access. And for us as an association, making sure we're working with the right political officials to make all that happen if there's a... So really, really a great, uh, great business to work in. Very cool, yeah, and some some exciting places to visit too. That doesn't sound so bad. That that sounds it's like a, a fun, nice, nice perk of the job. It's it's such a fundamental. Like you think about like produce is in everyone's life, right? Like it's it's the it is the staple. It's of really is. You should so, be eating a lot of it. If you're not, like when you, there, there's yeah. other problems, right? Yeah. When you talk about building Canada, I think it, it's just so fundamental. So, Ron, I guess from here, like I mean, we've talked about trends. We've talked about I covered a lot of ground. You know, what's next for CPMA? Like, is, is there anything? We talked a little bit about the the bill that went today, but anything on the horizon you wanna you wanna flag for everybody? We're we're on the tip of an iceberg on sustainability. So sustainability will be a fundamental focus moving forward, especially now. I started back in 1998, and food safety at that point was the the key. Th- issue everyone was focused because back then there were multiple standards everyone you know all the buy community had their own protocols requirements audits it was a little bit of a wild west and you can't manage anything when you have that many different strategies and standards in the market and we're seeing that now on sustainability right everyone wants to do the right thing but everyone has their own approach their own standard their own focus and we are going to need to focus everybody as a food industry and specifically as produce to begin aligning and harmonizing what is the standard, right? Mm-hmm. And how do we get to a point where, you know, you can you can create or create a non-competitive environment around sustainability on the baseline elements that you need. So mm-hmm. if somebody's shipping in, you don't need 15 different sustainability standards to sell into the Canadian market. Because if we end up creating those barriers domestically and globally, shippers are going to start saying, I'm just going to sell my product so much easier, right? Yeah. And yeah. we don't want we just so the key for us is you know focus on sustainability provide the the leadership as an association to try and bring together a harmonized approach domestically and globally 
I'd be working with Agriculture Canada, Environment Climate Change Canada, as well as uh, Health Canada. And then on top of that, on a global level, working with our global partners to bring together the strategy globally. And that's also working with the Consumer Goods Forum, right? GFSI and linking together the existing pieces because we don't need to recreate the wheel here, right? Mm -hmm. you know, let's take best practice. Let's take the tools that businesses use and how do we leverage those tools effectively so that you don't have to have 15 different audits to be able to sell an apple into Canada. Yeah. Do anyone Makes perfect sense. Yeah. I could see it. It's a job that probably takes an absolute massive amount of listening to do well, like just listening to so many stakeholders before making, you know, a rash or, or rushed change. We, and we have a great group of stakeholders that like to tell us what they, <laughs> <laughs> what they're thinking. And that's a positive. Listen, communication is fundamental here, right? And association, we don't make widgets like, yeah, we do put out our data information and our guidance documents and those tools, but we're a knowledge factor and our intellectual property is fundamental. To so gaining the knowledge of our volunteer base, of our staff and leveraging that back out to support the member on the value proposition, that's fun. And bringing that all together is key. And you know what? It's funny because one of the things that I didn't say is I took a little hiatus from CPMA. I went to the Canada Green Building Council for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I worked with their CEO, Thomas Mueller, fabulous man. Great vision on driving sustainability and green builds. And again, like I said, I had a in university with the architecture side mm -hmm. for architecture. So it was a great opportunity to link the two together and, and a, uh, a real purpose-built organization for a few years. And to bring that knowledge back to CPMA was fundamental because we're now at a point where CAGBC were driving years ago, right? Mm -hmm. And taking the knowledge and tools that they took where they had basically the premier program of sustainable building construction in place. How do we take that approach and drive fresh fruit and veg and leverage an approach that will be meaningful for not only our industry, but also for the consumer? Because they do, they do pay attention. They do want us to do the right thing. They do expect us to do the right thing. And we have to put the tools in the hands of business. Very Love it. Love that mission. Yeah. But Ron, one of the the questions that we ask every guest that we have on the show is what we like to call our, our brand fan. And, and I'm interested to hear your answer because you're in a, a bit of a different industry than, than a lot of our guests. So, you know, what is a product or brand that you are intrigued by that you maybe use personally or you love what they're doing from a marketing standpoint or what they stand for? What is your brand? Thing? So how do you brand a commodity, right? Yeah. Like this, this is the fundamental issue that many, many guys from center store that end up in produce, they come in and think, okay, we're going to apply you know, these, these strategies, the market, the product, this, it's an apple. Yeah. What do you, how do you, how do you brand and drive an apple? There are ways. So listen, we talked again, shout out to Mike Catalano and uh, you know, wonderful brands. Wonderful brands have done a great job on taking, in this case, their citrus program and effectively branding their citrus program to drive and change. Mm -hmm. And what we have to realize in many cases, and we go back to the Chiquita brand, you know, Chiquita many, many, many years ago, built the banana category, right? The brand, but they lifted and elevated everybody else at the same time and enabled everyone to, you know, enjoy and want to enjoy bananas for the right reasons. Likewise, we're seeing something similar with wonderful brands on how they strategize. And you know what? Just the ingenuity on and, and creativity that they leverage within their uh, branding strategies. And what's really unfortunate in many cases in Canada is we don't always get all of the branding and all of the strategies because we are a smaller market. So mm -hmm. the packaging, again, 
We have different regulatory requirements on labeling in Canada, so we may not see some of the fun labels that you see in the U.S. So there is some challenges with that, I guess you could say. But when you look at some of the strategies the wonderful brands are doing, outstanding. Then you want to go domestically and you start looking at some of the creativity that's happening and you have to go to the greenhouse. And when you start looking, you know, groups like, you know, astronaut and, you know, how do you take a greenhouse tomato and how do you position and market that tomato? And the key is marketing the flavor, the taste, the mm. color. And we keep forgetting, we, we go back years ago and it was all about big and bright. That year, that's disappeared. Now it's about flavor. It's about how do you how do you put it into the, into your into your meal? How do you enjoy it? The pandemic helped us that way because many more mm-hmm. people at home, many more people cooked at home, had to learn how to cook, and we're benefiting a little bit of that now because the flavor and the taste is driving forward. And those companies that are marketing and merchandising and promoting that way is key. Go back to some of the retail side, and I hate to got to be careful because they're all our members. But uh, there's some real strong strategies. And I go back to, you know, Longo still do a great job. You mm-hmm. know, Mimo and his team, you know, what? how do you make the shopping experience one that you don't want? Right. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a repeat shop. You're going, you're going to want to come back. You're going to want to, You're going to enjoy the experience. You're walking through a clean strategic store. Your, uh, you know, your produce department is the highlight. And it's the first thing I look at when I walk into a retail outlet is, all right, how clean is the produce department? Have they cross merchandised? Have they strategically used their end units with the right product at the right time of the year? And are they working with their produce team? And are they trained? Because if the mm-hmm. produce team aren't trained and they have left bad product on the shelf, and you know, you're not cycling your product through, you're not going to drive sales, right? At the end of the day, it's, it's some yeah. key, simple merchandising strategies that you have to Make sure your entire team is part of the solution. Because if you walk into a produce department and you don't have gaps in the display, you have, you know, bright dynamic product, even at the commodity as opposed to the brand, it's going to sell. And a big, and I know retail hates to hear this. We know through our data, how do you mix organic? Mm Because we're getting to a point where price points are very close. And you know what? The consumer, especially they're, they're going to go back to conventional not that they, we don't promote one higher than the other at CPMA, but at the end of the day, you can really have some fun driving change and driving sales through that blending in your merchandising strategy. That makes perfect sense. And I've never thought about it, but I'm start, I am starting to see it on raspberries where I'm seeing them next, well, like side by side, but I don't go to the organic section because I, I just don't feel like I have the disposable to do that. So it makes perfect sense to have that, you know, you know, better, best kind of framing from a shopper marketing standpoint. And you hit it right on the head. That, and, and and especially during the pandemic where people were making decisions with their dollar, mm-hmm. they were definitely, if you were not an organic buyer, you weren't walking over there. Yeah. You're walking to potatoes, bananas, and apples. And if you happen to see some leafy greens on sale, you were grabbing it. Yeah, no, no, it's exciting times. I tell you, the uh, there's some amazing brands out there what I always say to our members, and especially we have a new product showcase and see some of the dynamic positioning of how do you drive and change a commodity in the eyes of a commercial, they think it is different than another commodity it is amazing to see. And you know what? Anyone interested in uh, seeing some of, we create a flyer of all the new products, they can fire me an email and I'm happy to, happy to send them some of the highlights of what we saw at our convention. Awesome. Well, Ron, last question we would like to ask stay really like you know moment for you to you know instill from from your soapbox here in the podcast 
you know, what would be your biggest piece of career advice to a to a young person looking to, to forge a journey and in, in their career and um, and and make the most of it in the way you clearly have? So we have something called Passion. It's a mentoring program. We bring 17 young professionals to our convention. They network with the leaders. And then we bring three of them to our board meetings every September that graduated from the, the class to really see what our board does and how the industry works together at an association level. And I've had this question asked, and you know what? It comes back to always be willing to learn, always listen, and put yourself in a position for change. And those key people can drive creativity, can drive your business, and gives you an opportunity. When I say opportunity to change in your own company, in your personal life, everything is connected, right? If you're not happy at home, you're not going to be happy at work. If you're not happy at work, you're not going to be happy at home. Bring it all together. Make sure that you have that good synergy between work-life balance and make sure that you're looking at you know, let us say the long game. And for many, the long game is only two years now. That's okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. If that's your long game, that's your long game. And sit down and start mapping it out and, and be willing to accept and, and and hear and adjust. And in this world, especially in produce, things change every day. So you got to be ready to it. You can't be rigid in your thinking because your thinking may be different or may have to change to be successful. I love that. Yeah, I think the last few years have definitely shown us that. So yeah, that's fantastic advice. I think that applies to anyone really in any industry that advice thing is perfect it, it works you don't need a degree in produce to be successful <laughs> yeah. yeah that's true that's true now i'm gonna live by sell it or smell it i think i like that one the best as well <laughs> that, 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 pro, that produce learning so that's fantastic well well ron really appreciate you taking the time to meet with us and, and tell us your story and tell us everything that's going on in your world i think a lot of great information for our listeners there and and selfishly for alex and i i feel like we learned a lot as well so so a huge thank you to, to you for joining us. Guys, I really appreciated the time. Lots of fun. Next yeah. time, we're going to have to get you out on at our convention and see a little bit about what happens. We're in Vancouver next April. So uh, awesome. in your backyard. Yeah. Got to see what the produce industry really does. I would love to. That sounds fantastic. It. Awesome. Thanks so much, Ron. Really appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day. And uh, yeah, hopefully I'll see you next April. You bet, guys. <laughs> see you, Ron. Thanks. Absolute pleasure. Bye. Ooh, how was that? That was awesome. Ron yeah. is uh, Ron's a cool guy, and nice to nice to get a throwback to the Ottawa links uh, of my childhood. Which uh, <laughs> yeah, super super interesting conversation. Though. Yeah, great. Yeah, great guy. Shout out to Mike Catalano for the the introduction. Another amazing one. Um, super interesting background and angle, and like just some wild things that I you know. Obviously, I'm not an expert in, so I feel like I learned a lot. Alex, what did you, I know you love talking sustainability and, and this world. So what did you take away from it? I mean, I uh, like, I guess it loosely connects to this, the sustainability piece, but just the whole market access piece and the nature of the produce space and how um, complex it is, you know, the, the agreements and the, um, you know, the work that has to be done for us to be able to eat year round all of these various yeah. forms of produce that we sort of like are just used to having in our grocery store every single day in Canada. Um, we're incredibly blessed, um, you know, to have uh, all these options. And, you know, in the background, there's uh, organizations like the CPMA and, and some of the 
some of the great um, other importers and, and other organizations we've chatted with that are like making that possible. And, um, you know, talking to Ron about what's kind of in the background. And I mean, sustainability ties back into that in a massive way, um, because, you know, as as our our politicians create, uh, you know, their their roadmap for, you know, conduct and, and, and legislation and whatnot, um, it's a really fine line because it, it really does have massive implications for um, the various various you know food producers around the world and how how things come so to me that's just super interesting and um you know it's always like cool to peel back the onion a few layers and and just yeah. see like some of those those really interesting and complex inner workings of of um something that's kind of in your everyday life that you might take for granted how about you yeah yeah we do I and mean, we do take it for granted right it's like we We've talked about with our, with our children, like my son loves raspberries. If raspberries aren't there. I'm not sure he's going to eat fruit. So like, I need, I need raspberries <laughs> to be there. Um, so yeah, we, we absolutely take it for granted and, and to run the same vein as you just like the idea that um, some of these major issues are, are very simple to fix like packaging and sustainability and him just talking about how complex they actually are. Um, and how long it's going to take to make some of these changes and just showing that outlook. I think sometimes we oversimplify, like, why can't they just do this? Well, because that impacts freshness, that impacts what we're getting, that impacts. So there, there's so many downstream impacts of any changes we make and so many things that need to happen at the same time as those changes so that we can be more sustainable, that it, it really is a complex issue. And we need people like Ron that are sort of leading the charge and, and doing some of these things, but also like, being realistic with us about what we can and can't do so that um, we can make some of those best choices. I also loved his whole concept of the split brain revenge spending and, and, and things around that, but overall just found his, his background super interesting. And uh, I didn't realize that I love talking about produce so much, but it was just an awesome, awesome chat. Wholesome to eat. It's wholesome to talk about. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. Well, guys, um, if you're still with us, huge thank you for tuning in and, and joining us as we have these conversations and learn from you know these people who have these incredible stories. A massive thank you to Ron for making himself available and and sharing his journey and, and his career with us and, and a lot of the insights of, of what's going on in the produce world. If you haven't already, please like, subscribe, follow us on social media, either LinkedIn or Instagram. And uh, if uh, if you're able, throw us a five-star review on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Those go a long way. And beyond those, uh, if you ever want to touch base with us and let us know what you're liking about the show, what you'd like to hear more of, if there's a question you wish we'd asked or you just want to tell me that you like Justin more than me, um, shoot us a message. I won't tell you're, Justin. You're going to get but... a lot of messages. That's a lot of messages. <laughs> <laughs> But seriously, guys, uh, huge, huge thank you. Uh, we do this show for you and we appreciate you and uh, look forward to having you back next time for another great conversation. Stay tuned. Mm-hmm.